following audio is from Covenant Life Fellowship. For more information about our church and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. You know, 1 Corinthians 12, when we get into this text, and as you read the text, you will see why I say this. It, it reminds me of what God is doing in the life of our church and what he has been doing over the last several years. We, we just cannot say thank you enough for the way that you have leaned in, the way that you serve the Lord, the way that you press in, the way that you're wanting to serve Jesus in your areas of life, the way you want to be equipped, the way you open your Bibles when we get together, uh, the way you worship the Lord, um, the way you handle your families, the way that you care for each other. There is a, a palpable work that only God is doing that we've got to give God praise for. But at the same time, we've got to abound in and get better at. And so 1 Corinthians 12 is a great text for us to think about the body. Um, if you've grown up at all around the Christian church or you've been around the Christian church at all, you would know that the idea of spiritual gifts is a hotly debated topic. <clears throat> and and we, we have a tendency to divide over these type of issues. And one of the challenges with it is we don't talk very good about the other side very well. We say things that aren't very helpful. So here's an example of a couple phrases that gets utilized that is not very helpful. Here's one. Um, we attend a spirit-filled church as if all churches that claim the name of Jesus are not spirit-filled. We're going to learn today that they are. Or we say things like, you guys on the other side don't believe in the same Jesus that we believe in. These type of statements don't do anything to bring unity together. And one of the challenges with unity is that when there's a call for unity, many times there is a, an idea that says, we're going to have unity on all costs, and we're willing to compromise the truth of Scripture. That's not unity. What we end up doing is calling for uniformity, which is not biblical unity. Uniformity is not what God calls His people to. Matter of fact, we're going to learn today that God has gifted each of us so diversely and distinctly and differently that what biblical unity is, is understanding that God's gifted us differently, appreciating those different differences, and honoring them because God is at work among us. That's biblical unity. I think Gordon Fee really nails down the concern when he wrote this. If the work of the Spirit appears to be the cause of disunity among some, it is certainly not the Spirit's fault. Our common fallenness, unfortunately, often causes both pride and suspicion or distrust to prevail when it comes to the work of the Spirit. Our desperate need is surely for a sovereign work of the Spirit to do among us what all our programmed unity cannot. This is why we need to talk about spiritual gifts. Why we need to talk about how they're supposed to operate in the church. It's in the Bible. It's not supposed to be a dividable issue. It's supposed to be one that we recognize God at work in the church and we honor one another and we worship God in a brand new, unique way because we see what God is doing in the church. So, so that's what we want to talk about this morning. Now in our church, we got people from all types of backgrounds. Maybe you're new with us, you don't know our church very well, and you're wondering what we're about. Maybe you've been with us for a long time and you kind of got an idea. Maybe you've noticed the growth in the church and you're going, man, where are people coming from? Well, let me tell you where people are coming from. We have some from churches who did not emphasize spiritual gifts at all. 
Matter of fact, they, they think that the spiritual gifts are mainly just those that are listed in Romans chapter 12, and they usually avoided 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. We have some who come from churches that overemphasize the spiritual gifts, and there was a lot of uh, misuse. And people are nervous and cautious and weirded out by the idea of spiritual gifts. We have some who didn't grow up in the church at all and wonder, what in the world is a spiritual gift? I mean, that seems odd. Is that something that, like, you know, you know, Christmas Santa brings to us and drops it underneath our spiritual tree? What is a spiritual gift, and what is the big deal about it? We have some in our church who think we're too charismatic because we have drums. We have some in our church who think we're not charismatic enough. And so you can imagine why this discussion on spiritual gift is really, really important to us as a body. So as we continue to look at this issue from 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, I think there's a couple reminders as we've gone through this series that we are these last couple chapters that we need to keep at the forefront. And the first one is this. Be aware that gifts are important, but they are not preeminent. Jesus is preeminent in the church. Jesus' lordship is preeminent in the church. Jesus as the king is to be our most important priority. And we know that somebody has the Spirit of God at work in them if they declare that Jesus Christ is their Savior and their Lord with their life and their lips. When somebody's doing that, you can know the Spirit of God is at work in their lives. We cannot miss this. Gifts don't make anybody part of the you know, special forces of Christendom. They don't make you like a first-class citizen in the kingdom of God. Matter of fact, what makes you a first-class citizen in the kingdom of God is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin, rose again from the dead, and you believe that he is your savior and your king. That's what makes you a first-class citizen in the kingdom of God. All are equal at the cross. That's one thing. Gifts are important, but they're not preeminent. Jesus is. The second thing to be reminded of is this. There are a myriad of gifts, a variety of services, lots and lots and lots of ministries, but there is only one sovereign king over them all. His name is God. It's not you. It's not me. We're not the one who decides who gets what. God is the one who determines those things, and He gifts every Christian how He sees fit, and He empowers every Christian with a variety of gifts, services, and ministries. We all have a part to play, but the issue really is that gifts are about God. Gifts are about submitting ourselves to God. We don't utilize our gifts however we want to utilize them. We utilize our gifts the way God wants them utilized. It's important for us to remember as we move forward. So this week we're gonna, we're gonna look at something. We're gonna look at one body, many members. Now last week we looked at one God, many gifts. But this, this Sunday we're gonna look at one body, many members. So let's stand together. We're gonna read 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 30 together. I think it'll come up on the screen for you. Yes, it will. Okay, great. Perfect. <clears throat> Follow along as I read, and, and this is the reading of God's Word. It is God-breathed, it is inspired, and it is true. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. 
And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those of the, those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated at, with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Let's pray. Father, we are incredibly grateful that you have given us direction in your word as to how we should treat one another and how we should view and see the spiritual gifts that you have allotted to each member of your church. Today, I pray that you would create in us greater honor for one another because of your work and a greater appreciation of the interconnectedness and the interdependence that we have on one another. And then help us to leave here desiring and willing to play our part to reveal the gospel of Christ to a world that has no idea what it's about. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, if you're new with us, you should have got a bulletin when you walked in the door. And on the bulletin, there's an outline there. Uh, flip that over and you're going to see the island has a big idea. Here's kind of the idea that we want to get across this morning to comprehend. Here, here's what we want to see out of this text. God has diversely gifted the church so that every person is needed and honored. He did it this way so that he might be revealed in the church and glorified through the church. Let's say that one more time. God has diversely gifted the church so that every person is needed and honored. He did it this way so that he might be revealed in the church and glorified through the church. Let's start with point number one there, which is um, unity through the spirit. We're going to see this in verses 12 through 13. Now, as we've gone through the study in 1 Corinthians, we have recognized this church was an incredibly eclectic. It was a massively divided place. You had people from every background. You You had merchants. You had wealthy artisans. You had sailors. You had temple prostitutes. You had priests who had come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. They'd come to believe that Jesus was indeed their Savior. You had very strict Jews who came to faith in Christ. You had very immoral Greeks that came to faith in Christ. And they were massively divided when they came to church on a Sunday morning. And in these verses we just read, Paul makes sure that they understand 
what brings them together in unity and in harmony. Now, it's intriguing. When you read 1 Corinthians 12, you're going to notice a phrase and words that Paul uses a lot. He uses the word one and the word many a lot. So early on, we saw that there were there's one God overseeing many gifts. We saw varieties of gifts, services and ministries, but one spirit, one Lord, one God. But this week, you're going to notice one body, many members, emphasizing the unity that we have in the body of Christ, even though we have many members and many different gifts. And the emphasis on the many, the one body and many members is critically important as we talk about spiritual gifts. It's important because you have so many people from a variety of backgrounds. In this church in particular in Corinth, they had Jewish people and Gentile people, yet Paul wanted them to know, even though they came from different backgrounds, they were one church. There's to be no division in the church. And it's also important because when we know that we're many members with many gifts, but we're one body, it keeps us from comparing our gifts or our spirituality or ranking spiritual gifts to see who seems to matter most in the church. See, in chapters 12 through 14, Paul is answering a really big question. Here's the question. Does somebody, in order for a person to show their spiritual, do they have to show a spiritual gift? In other words, people from various backgrounds in this church, they were trying to display how gifted they were, how how powerful they were. So they would come off as they were uberly spiritual. So the speakers wanted to be seen as gifted teachers. The healers wanted to be seen as extraordinarily gifted. Those who spoke with other tongues wanted to show off that they were they were remarkably spiritual. And Paul, in this text, is trying to break down that self-righteous division by declaring to them, now listen, you are many members with many gifts, but you're one body and you're supposed to be working together. And he tells us in verse 13 why we are to work together. Notice verse 13 when he says this, in the spirit, we've all been baptized into one body. See, Paul's not making a case here about when somebody's baptized in the Spirit. That's, that's kind of a secondary piece to his discussion here. But he's making a, a case for this. The Spirit of God has been placed inside of every Christian in the body of Christ. Therefore, because of the Spirit's work, we are one. We're in this thing together. Now remember, we know that a person has the Spirit of God when they declare that Jesus Christ is their Savior and their Lord with their life and their lips. That that means when somebody declares that and they're living out the faith, we know they have the Spirit of God right residing with them, within them. We know that from the Bible. That if we believe that Jesus Christ came, lived in our place, died in our place, rose again from the dead, the moment we believe that, the Spirit of God takes up residence with, with inside of us. And that Spirit of God inside of us is what makes us part of the body of Christ. So what Paul is saying here is, if a person declares that Jesus Christ is their Savior and their Lord with their life and their lips, then the Spirit of God has brought them into or baptized them into the body of Christ, and therefore all Christians, every one of us, are one because of the Spirit's work within us. The Holy Spirit residing in each of us is what unites us to one another. Now, this is something we can, we should learn here. We should understand here. We should, we should 
apply this and take it home with us. It's the Spirit's work in each of us that unites us together in Christ. See, this section of Scripture is clear. It's the Spirit of God working in us that makes us one with each other. Perhaps the best place to think about this is in Romans chapter 8. In another place where Paul wrote these words, the Spirit bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. Now, you maybe have had this experience before, maybe you haven't, but I have on multiple occasions. You're traveling somewhere, you meet a stranger, and as you're talking with them, you begin to suddenly get this sense like, I think this person is a Christian. I think they trust in Christ as their Savior. I think they go to church somewhere. And so as you begin the dialogue, suddenly you begin to realize, indeed, they, they, they're a Christian. You hear their story. What, what gave you that idea? Well, some of you would go, well, I'm remarkably smart. You would know that. No, you're not that smart. The Spirit of God was bearing witness or talking to you about the Spirit of God at work in that other individual, and that came as a work of the Spirit. It's a work of God. The Spirit bearing witness with our spirit is like Him telling us that we are children of God. And His residence inside of us, the Spirit of God living in us, is what connects us together as the church in one body, the believing people of God. So so think how powerful this is. Whether you're a lawyer or you're a doctor, you're a mailman, you're you're a logger or you're a janitor, if you trust in Jesus, we are connected by the Spirit of God, and it's the same Spirit at work in you that's at work in me. Whether you're black, you're white, you're Latino, you're Russian, you're Asian, same Spirit at work in all of us. Now you can see why we would say in the Christian church, the only answer to racism is truly the power of the gospel. Because racism wants to emphasize a one race over another race, and let's say how this works. Jesus says, no, Actually, race is just who you are. It's the color of your skin. But the gospel is what says, I've bought you as my people. And it doesn't matter what color of your skin is or what walk of life you came from. And think how what an impact that makes on the unity of the body of Christ. The Spirit of God residing in you is like the life of God, the DNA of God working in you to work out God's image in you. That's what the Spirit of God is doing. We bear his resemblance because the spirit is at work in us. Now think about that for a moment. As humans, we were made in the image of God. And we know that God, the Godhead, is made up of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three in one. We call it the triune God, the Trinity. And what's intriguing about those three is they all three have distinct roles. They have different functions that they do, different, different job descriptions, if you will. But they are one One essence, one purpose, one will. Three in one. So what happens when God made us in his image? He made all of us diverse. So you have people with blonde hair, people with brown hair. You have people that are white, people that are black, people that are Asian. You have all sorts of different colors of skin. You have all sorts of different backgrounds and gifts and talents and skills. For what reason? To reveal the Godhead. But something happened after God made us is we sinned against God. We rebelled against God. And suddenly, our differences begin to grind on one another. Matter of fact, the very first family picture, if you were to take a family picture of Adam and Eve's family, the very first picture you get is Genesis chapter 4. 
It's where their son Cain rises up and kills his brother Abel. There's conflict because they are, there's differences. One is in sin and his sin is, is jealous of the other one's righteous sacrifice. And sin immediately comes into the picture to cause us to compare, sinfully compare, be sinfully critical, to judge one another about the, the differences between us. But listen to the power of the gospel. Jesus Christ came, lived perfectly in our place, died to satisfy the wrath of God for us. When we believe in Christ, we are reconciled to God, and God also gives us the power, listen clearly, to be reconciled to one another. So now we see differences radically different. We see the differences revealing the image of God on display on the earth. And so you can see the impact that would have in the unity of the church when the church begins to see, wait a minute, we're all diverse. We all have different gifts. That's not to divide us. That's actually to cause us to come together. And so the power of the gospel is the only answer to help us come together in our diversity. The impact this has on our diversity is this. When the Spirit of God is indwelling us, would He work to divide us from one another? No. As Gordon Fee told us, that's our fallenness at work. The Spirit of God is always at work to bring us together. Sin is always at work to rip us apart. And so the Spirit of God at work in us is what brings us together. It's what, it's what unites us. See, we can have unity from various backgrounds and with different gifts because we have the same Spirit. We have, we are many members, many gifts, but we're united in one body by one Spirit. Now let's look at the second point then, which begins to then let this play out a little more. Why would God, it, it displays the glory of God, but, but what does this diversity do for us? Let's look at the second point, which is honor and inter, inter, interdependence in diversity. And we're going to see this through the rest of the chapter, uh, chapter verses 14 through 30. Paul begins to expound on these, on the diverse members in one body. And because, and the reason he does this is normally when we think of diversity, we immediately think of division. See, what your world is doing to you is an absolute tragic mess. Your world is saying to you, the answer for unity is when one is suppressed, you then, you elevate that one above the suppressor and that therefore brings unity. That's not what brings unity. What brings unity is emphasizing what God has done across the board to reveal that there's only, there's only equal playing field at the foot of the cross so that no matter what background you come from, we are humans who have, who are bleeding the same color blood and who've all been bought by the same redeemer. And your world says diversity should speak to our differences. But you're going to notice something different in this text when he's going to say our diversity actually means we should honor one another for our differences. And it reveals we are so dependent on one another. That's why we have these differences. So in verses 14 through 20, Paul begins to just lay this out. He uses an analogy of the body and he's going to talk about different body parts. So he mentions in verses 14 to 20, he mentions the foot and the ear which are not usually seen as important as the hands and the feet. And he's basically talking about how we should honor every part of the body 
especially those that we may not recognize that are all that important. To put it in gift terms, using spiritual gifts, it'd be like this. Paul would say this. One who serves cannot say, because I'm not a teacher, I don't belong in the body. Or one who is a mercy giver cannot say, because I'm not a leader, I don't belong in the body. Paul wants us to realize that we should honor every part of the body because we know that every part of the body matters just as much as every other part of the body. The foot is just as important as the hands, and the one who gives is just as important as the prophet. And he says the reason we can honor one another, don't miss verse 18, is because God, God has arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. So he said another moment where Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 is saying, the sovereign king over gifts is not you. The sovereign king over the gifts is God. God is the one who has arranged the body just as he wants. And he wants us to see our role in the body of Christ as a direct result of God arranging his members in every place that he wants as the Lord of his church as he desires. See, our natural humanness and our sinful fallenness says, I'm not able to do certain things because so-and-so has kept me away. This says, actually, God is the one who has directed traffic and has put you exactly where he wants you. And we've already seen this in this text. Verse 7 of chapter 12 says that to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And we saw it in verse 11. All gifts are empowered by the one and the same Spirit who apportions to each as he wills. In other words, God is the determiner of which gifts he gives us. And this means that he's arranged the gifts, every member, just as he wants in a united body, just as God desires. And he's organized the church in such a way that each person has a part to play and that we can then honor every person and every part. One part is not more necessary or more important than the other part. All are dependent on God and every part is deserving honor because God is the one who has placed them in the church and God is the one who has gifted them in the church. See, what this shows us is that diversity, our diversity of gifts, is a reason to honor one another in the church. See, when we see that every part is chosen by God, and every part is arranged by God, then you're going to honor every part that God utilizes. He's the conductor of the orchestra. He's the one who's placed us with different skills and gifts doing what we do. And we should honor every part because every part is necessary and important. Now, what we have a tendency to do is we say, well, listen, I'm not going to honor people because that could cause them to get too arrogant and too proud about what they're doing. Right? Well, my challenge with that is what would you do with Romans chapter 12, verse 10, which is the only verse in the Bible that I know that tells us to compete against one another in the church. And it tells us to outdo one another in showing honor. You know what honor is? Honor is that moment where you go, no way. Honor would be, uh, in my world, 
Honor would be if somebody brought in a Honus Wagner rookie card. And the rest of you went, I don't know what you're talking about. The most rare baseball card in the history of the world. And they brought it in. I could just see it. You know, a few of you guys have been in the back. What is this dumb thing? And I'd be diving trying to save it from hitting the ground. It's worth lots and lots and lots of money. And somebody brought it. I'd put it. I just put it. I go, what? I mean, you hyperventilate in the presence of Honus Wagner rookie card. That, that's honor. And we are to, listen, we're to outdo one another and showing honor to one another. It's completely appropriate to honor people for serving Jesus and his church and how you see God at work in their lives. Matter of fact, if you want to motivate people to serve Jesus more or to be a better friend, one of the ways you can do this is when you notice it, say something about it. You know what that does to them? It makes them want to do it better. That's just the nature of the beast. We're to honor one another. And diversity of gifts makes you realize God, God is at work. And when God is at work, what should we be doing? Honoring it. Speaking to it. Understanding, God, look what the Lord has done to bring all these people from various backgrounds together and they all act out their gifts. And we go, God, look what you've done. It's a create honor in the church. When we honor every part, we are actually honoring God who gave us every part and arranged them just as he desires. See, verses 14 through 20 show us something. They show us that those parts and gifts that seem less important are actually abundantly important. And they deserve great honor because God has arranged many members in one body just as God has designed. It's God's work. But then notice verses 21 through 24 as Paul continues the same, you know, kind of body metaphor. Here he gives comparisons to eyes to hands and head to feet. And neither of those can say, I have no need of you. So what Paul, what is he doing here? Well, here's what Paul's saying. There were some in the church in Corinth, and we don't see this a lot here, praise God. Um, there's been times we've had this happen, just being frank, where people would say, you don't understand, I, I have better gifts than so-and-so. Why don't you notice me? But in this church in particular, here's what was happening. People were trying to show out gifts to show how important they were. They wanted to be ranked in the church. They wanted position. They wanted influence. They wanted prestige. And they thought they had more honorable gifts and that other gifts were not nearly as significant as their gifts. And again, to put it in in gift terms, what Paul's saying in this section 21 through 24 is, the teacher cannot say to the servant, I have no need of you. In other words, what Paul is getting at is, every part matters. God has arranged every part of the body to act and be exactly what he wants because we are all interdependent on each other. The seemingly more important gifts are dependent on the seemingly unimportant gifts which make them really, really, really important. You see the point. So we've got to see that we need each other. We all need noses, don't we? We all need ears. 
Well, listen, we all need encouragers. We all need exhorters. We all need givers. We all need mercy givers. We all need administrators. We need leaders. We need them all. And we're all interdependent on each other. No gift is more important than the others. There is no seemingly less significant gift or less significant member of Christ's body. See, you might have wondered earlier, why did Dave say we have 241 members of the church? I'll tell you why. Because we know every name, every name matters. Well, you know why they matter? Because they matter to God. God sees everyone. Everyone matters. No, no gift is more significant than the other and no any member more significant than the other. God has arranged the body in such a way that we need each other. And you know what that does? It stirs your honor of one another when you know that you need them. When you know that you cannot walk out the body of Christ and the gospel in a way that truly honors God without each other. Let me just give you some examples of that from the year 2020. The most challenging year pastorally I've ever had. And I've had some hard years. Last year was tough. Just to give you an example of how hard that year was, um, periodically I get the privilege, I meet with retired pastors. Two of them are in our church, uh, Pastor Dan Seeker and Pastor Bruce Wells. They're some of the dearest brothers on earth. And Dan's is over here. Dan would remember this meeting. We, we met a few months ago, and, and it's probably November. And uh, we is that right before our elder retreat, actually? And I wanted to get with those guys, ask some questions. And <clears throat> I, I ended our discussion with two questions. And I said, hey, as we're ending, I want to ask you two things. Um, the first question is, have you ever in your almost combined 80 years of pastor's, pastoral experience ever gone through a year like this? And they both said, no. This is the craziest, wackiest time I've ever seen in my life. It's just, it's nuts. I don't, I just, I don't, it's okay. Then my second question is, so you've never seen that. How, how are we doing through this? How, how am I doing? Uh, you know, I just, I just help me out here. I mean, you can slap me. I don't care. Just, I mean, just give it, give it to me straight, you know, and, and Bruce Wells, I'll never forget it. Uh, Bruce Wells leaned back in his seat. He looked over at Dan and he says, Dan, I think I'll probably speak for both of us. Um, you know, Dave, um, we just, we're glad it's you and not us. <laughs> and I said, uh, that, that's just not helpful. I mean, use your gifts to help me, right? They did. It was like, okay, great. I said, great. Meeting's over. I got your coffee covered. You guys can go home now. I mean, you know, it's been, a, it was a hard year. But let me just give you some things about this. I think it will really be helpful to help you see this. Our pastoral team is made up of six different gifted men from different backgrounds, different skills, experiences. Mike Keller is one of the most unique listeners and encouragers you'll ever be around. When you're in the room with Mike Keller, you feel like you're the only person that's in the room. And there could be a thousand people in the room. He's uniquely gifted. Bill's our resident counselor. When all of us need counsel, we go to Bill. We kind of sometimes think Bill's like our resident, the Apostle Paul. You know, when you want to know history, Bill brings out history. When you want to know theology, he brings out theology. He, he just brings a wealth of information. Dave Quill is our resident administrator, kind of our engineer who kind of sees things in these clear lines and, and, and things, see things down the road that we don't know how to put together. Chris is our resident facilitator, and Chris is a fantastic question asker. If you want to know, like, a question, like, what, what, are, what are your thoughts here? How would we answer this? 
Or what about this perspective here? Have we thought through this? Or what about this angle over here? And I can't tell you how absolutely invaluable that has been to our year in 2020. Dave Rubel is our resident pastor. If there's a guy on the sta- on our on our team that just feels the heart of the church, it's Dave. That carries it on his heart. He's taught us how to pastor better. I'm I just happen to be a resident teacher and I'm I'm the guy that they look to for some leadership in this group. Let me just tell you something about this. When you get that many guys in the room with that many gifts and listen type A personalities that these are not men who back down from speak in their minds. They're strong leaders with different political ideals or or all the wrestling matches of all the things going on in a year like 2020. It could be a recipe for disaster. You're putting very strong, uh, and I'll put it this way for myself, a proud man who works on humility every day into the same room with other men who I think are wrestling through those same kind of things. You're, 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 you're dealing with a, a, a pot that is boiling, that's ready to boil over. But let me tell you instead what we saw. Knowing that God had gifted each of us differently, that each of us had the Spirit of God at work in us, we wrestled through really hard issues. We dealt with conflict when it arose. Matter of fact, there was not at one time that I can remember in 2020, and I don't remember this in our team, where if there was a conflict on the night of a meeting, that either that night or the following day, it was not immediately resolved. Guys reaching out to each other to settle issues and disputes if there were any, and there weren't very many. We worked through kind of intellectual disagreements, and we came out on the other side doing something fantastic, honoring each other more, loving each other more, and experiencing the grace of God in a way that I I can't say I've experienced in all my years of pastoring. I could see the same thing about our staff. Listen, each member of our staff has a variety of gifts, interests, perspectives, and stances on all kinds of issues. And you can't imagine, I, I can remember vividly back about last April when mandates are coming out and they're changing literally every hour. I mean, I'm not kidding you. We're getting an email from the governor's office every hour about something new on the religious front. And it's like, okay, go through this. Where, what are we doing? And for me, I am, I'm not a natural rule follower. I know that would surprise some of you. Um, <clears throat> I am like, what? I'm, I'm like losing my mind. What are we doing? What are we doing? I mean, this is, this is crazy. And so for our staff to work with this wacko and come out on the other side, unified, lots of disagreement, lots of perspectives. But here's what I noticed. Knowing that the gospel of Jesus is what brought us together that we're all gifted by the Spirit of God. It caused all of us to view the differences in each other with appreciation. Honor each other for those differences of opinions and hear each other out. There, there's been more than one or two moments that I can honestly tell you, well, I mean, I know it's shockingly, I'm, I'm a little opinionated, and those of my staff would say, hey, I gotta be honest, man, I feel like sometimes you're like trying to force your opinion on me, and I don't know if I agree with, I don't, you, you can't prove this biblically. And I'd be like, you know what? You're right. My love for you matters more for me than this mandate. I would rather reveal the beauty of Christ and the unity of the spirit than disobey. And what we saw was a staff walk out of that unified, joyful. Our staff meetings are a time where we can share our hearts with each other and love on each other in unity and joy. 
Now, I give you those examples because you can all see those things going on in your own homes. The last year has been remarkably challenging. And if we needed differences of opinion, we needed differences of opinions on issues going on. And if you didn't see those as coming from people filled with the Spirit of God, you would critically judge people. When we realize that all gifts are important, all are needed, and all are given by God, here's what we're going to do. We're going to stop sinfully comparing our gifts. We're going to stop sinfully criticizing others. We're going to stop being critical of certain roles or talents or gifts. And instead, here's what we'll do. We'll actually enjoy greater friendships, and I believe we'll have greater effectiveness in the kingdom of God. The beauty of 1 Corinthians 12 is the feel in the text of every person is needed. And God is the one who has arranged the body in the way that he did. Each one is gifted as he wants them gifted. This allows us to stop checking out each other's gifts and coveting what somebody else has with jealousy and actually start using our own gifts and honoring one another for what God is doing in them and through them. See, when we spend time sizing up each other's gifts, you've only got two ends of that problem. One is pride, because you go, I think I'm actually more gifted than that person. Or the other is depression, which says, I don't think I'm nearly as gifted as him, and I wish I was. But what, what if we did something different? What if we trust God to give God gifts to people? What if we love God, love His church, serve people for their good, and let God determine what gifts he wants for people to use and others to use. And how about we just serve Christ as one body with each playing their part. And when we see it happening, we marvel at God's work in their life. How about we do that? You know what happens in a church that does that? Well, Paul tells us in the text. Notice verses 24 through 26. It tells us it promotes maximum honor, maximum care, and maximum unity. See, God has made us unique and diverse for a reason. And it is not so that we might be unique and diverse. See, what we have a tendency to do is we think God made us this way to be diverse so we get more weird. Now, you don't have to be more weird than you already are. You're really weird now. Okay, just get that settled. God made you unique and diverse for a reason so that you and I might honor one another, live in harmony with one another, with each playing their part and marveling at God as each plays their part and that we might uniquely love one another. See, in the world's economy, diversity means division. In God's economy, diversity means through the Spirit, brings unity. That, that's, that's how different it is. There's an interconnectedness in the body of Christ in this text of Scripture. Each part is connected to the other parts of the body, and we need each other. We love each other. We honor each other. See, your big toe is a long way away from your head. But if you break your big toe, your head's going to feel it. No different than when you're honored about something. Your entire body feels it. They're connected. That's Paul's point here. 
When one part hurts, we all hurt. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. God has designed the body in such a way that though we are different, we are connected, we are one, and we should honor one another and depend on one another. There's no comparisons. There's no jealousy. There's no arrogance about our gifts. It's one body with many parts working in harmony for the common good of everyone. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that desirous? You know what that sounds like? It sounds like heaven. But you know what it actually is? It's a simplicity of the outworking of the Spirit of God creating in us the image of God, revealing that to the world around us. It's in our diversity being one in purpose, one in will, one in mind, for one end in mind, the glory of God to every end of this earth and every sphere of this earth. And all of us using our gifts, our talents, our skills, our things that God has given us for that purpose. So you got different people with different gifts, different backgrounds, all using those things for the common good because we've been baptized into this body by the Spirit of God. We have many gifts, but there's one body, and it's an absolutely beautiful thing when the Spirit of God leads our unity. So listen, let's let's keep playing our part. But but one of the things that Dave Rubel said in the video, I think is important. God, this text reminds us of CLF, but I just want to be straight with you. We need to abound in this work. Let, let's not pat ourselves on the back like, wow, look at us. No, let, this is similar. God, do, do more of this in us and help us abound in this work of loving one another, of glorifying you for your great name all throughout the ends of the earth. And in the end, may God get the credit. In the end, may God be glorified, right? On that last day, when you stand before God and he says, well done, good and faithful servant, you know what you're going to say? You're going to say, well, God, I know you said well done to me, but actually I would not be here without Jesus. So thank you for getting me here. Well done, God. Well done. On that day, may it be said of us that he found us faithful. Let's pray. This sermon has been proudly given in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online. For more information about Covenant Life Fellowship, visit us on the web at www.clfroseburg.com.